for worship this morning. It is good to worship with God's people. Let's pray before we open the word together. Lord, would you feed us by your word this morning? May we be filled not by bread alone, but by the words that have proceeded from your mouth. Amen. Last week was Resurrection Sunday, wherein Christ was proclaimed risen. Acts 4.33, this is a wonderful verse. You guys need to know this one. It's among the greats. Acts 4.33 tells us that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Testifying the resurrection and great grace was upon them. Was it just Resurrection Sunday and after that we stopped proclaiming it? No, no. Today we're going to consider this great message um, and, and we're going to specifically talk about the result and the power of it all. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? It's useless. It's futile. We can go home. What's the point of being here? If Christ is not raised, sleep in on Sunday. The power of the resurrection we're going to consider this morning um, that, that Pastor Mike alluded to last Week and he preached and he seeked to unearth and we're going to unpack that this more this morning. So to edify and exhort and encourage us as as believers towards further faith and further holy living. Our sermon text for this morning is in Romans chapter six. Let's go there together. Let's read our passage. We're going to read from verse 1 on. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him and by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the, the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Again this morning, considering power and effect of the resurrection, believer, your faith is not in vain. God has raised Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior, from the grave. Through his death, he has accomplished freedom for his own. Our passage this morning in Romans 6 points to some awesome and marvelous, potent power and the results of the resurrection. What is the resurrection doing? What has it done? This passage requires that we put our thinking caps on. Peter wrote that some things Paul writes are hard to understand. Um, we, We don't shy away from these passages, though. We rather drink deeply from them and meditate on them, drawing out the truths the Holy Spirit is gifting us through the inspired Word of God. So according to our passage, we ask the question, what is... What is the power and the result of the resurrection? What is it? In Jesus being raised to life and, and what they mean for each person who hears and joyfully follows the voice of their risen Lord. Power and result, one. The glory of God results in newness of life. God died But God did not die alone. No, he died with the crushing weight of our sin upon him. Believer, he took your sin down with him. Good Friday and Easter passages, services have been, Lord willing, penetrating the heart and the mind of of each. And we consider these things and what they mean for us as believers. Bear in mind, if you're not a believer this morning, uh, this is how God is able to save you. He's able to save you. Verse 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Believer, your sin was present on that cross. And he took your death upon himself. This is how you were baptized, buried, raised with him. Jesus, in life, was baptized with a water baptism, which symbolizes what would take place. He stated to John that it was necessary for him to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3.15. Jesus was baptized, and the true baptism of his death was on behalf of of spiritually dead people. Spiritually dead people. 
those who were baptized into Christ were at the time spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 explains this for us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6 says he raised us up with Christ. We were dead in our sins. Believer, you were not dying. You were not on life support. Nobody was trying to bring you back with a defibrillator. You, you were uh, not waiting in the water, waiting for a lifeboat to come by. You were dead. Absolutely, totally, spiritually dead. You were spiritually as dead as a corpse in a casket and physically as good as dead as well. Physically as good as dead. Being baptized in his death. Christ took your death on your behalf. He took the wages of your sin, which is death. He took your wages. He says, I will take these wages of sin. And he took your death upon himself. Water baptism, when we are baptized, it is symbolizing what has happened entering and exiting the grave. You are entering the water. You are entering the grave. You are exiting the water, exiting the grave. Jesus did this on your behalf, believer, and he took you with him. In dying, he propitiated, which is appeasing God's wrath and God's justice for the believer's sin. In rising, he brings us alive with him. Now removed from the wages of our sin, they have been paid in full. Amen? But why? Why would Jesus do that? Because he loved us. Verse 4, verse 4, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He did it for a purpose. We'll unpack that in a moment. We have been building up to the power expressed out in our own lives, the power of the resurrection, what that means for us. But first, we must consider our risen Lord. Just how was Jesus raised? We get talking about Jesus rose from the dead. How was Jesus raised? How did God raise Jesus? Our passage reads that by the glory of the Father, Jesus was raised. What does it mean by the glory? God's greatness, his power, and his holiness can be seen through the resurrection of his son. God's greatness, his power, and holiness are the means by which God resurrected his son. A, a couple of supplemental verses to help illuminate this concept. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might when he worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Acts 2, 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. There are no wages left to pay. If there's nothing left to pay, God's holy justice requires that Jesus no longer remain dead. He himself was innocent from the beginning. Therefore, God raises him up. Are you encouraged that God's glory is able to raise? Consider that God has the sufficient power, the sufficient greatness and holiness to resurrect. He is able to make alive that which is dead. Even things that are inanimate are inside his control to make animate. Consider Moses' staff. The Lord God is great in power and holiness. By his glory, the Father raised his Son from the dead. He was not resuscitated. He wasn't given an IV or a defibrillator. Medical science and the wisdom of man have not comprehended how to bring to life something that is dead, much less dead for days. It cannot compare with the might of the great I am. Resurrection is a glory that God exclusively has. It is the glory of God that is able to bring newness of life. Consider Jesus himself. Exclusive power to raise the dead. Anybody risen in, in the entirety of history has been risen by God's power. Consider Jesus who, himself who raised Jairus' daughter by his own power. It is this glory of God's which is able to bring newness of life. There was nothing left of this little girl. Her 12-year-old body has, has expired. She has breathed her last. And no power, greatness, or righteousness of man would be able to bring her newness of life. And Jesus, he, he took her by the hand and he said to their, her, Talithakom, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She stood up. Just like Jesus, who stood up, got out of the tomb, and the barrier between death and life was rolled away. And he was walking and talking and living and breathing. Brothers and sisters, this is our assurance. This is our hope. This is our confidence. If we have believed in him with faith and we have repented of sin, that means we've turned away from sin. God has given a clean heart, a new conscience. If we have died with Christ, then this promise is for us. 
as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too? We too? To think we previously the wretches of creation have been gifted with this same power to walk in a new life that is so raised. How can we describe how dead we were? As a wretched dead person, I had no choice but to be dead. Lying in a casket made of my own sin. It is not that I wanted a choice either. I liked it in there. Death is cozy. This death of Adam I reveled in. It satisfied my flesh. There's no way out. I am captive by my own sin and the weight of the dirt that is sin-decked on the casket, I could never remove the lid. The worst of all, I don't want to leave. I like it in there. The temptations to stay and suffocate myself with my evil thoughts, the scent of my rebellious nature, this claustrophobia of my idolatry, the rotting flesh of my lust, the worms eating away at me with greed, and the unbelieving, faithless darkness that conveniently hides it all. Then Jesus speaks. Then Jesus speaks, and his sheep hear his voice, and it's if, as if to say to each believer, Lazarus, come out. And suddenly we see the state we're in. The tomb that surrounds us, the casket is, is opened, and we are able to exit the state that we're in of sin and repent. When God calls you alive, what living man would remain in the tomb and say, no, Lord, Thanks for making me alive, but I like it in here. I'd rather remain in a casket of sin. Hang on that cross a little longer for me, God. Why would anyone say that? Yet that is what a believer who is unrepentant of sin is saying to God. Hang on that cross a little longer for me. Just one more night of sexual immorality. Just one more night of drunkenness. One more night of clinging to my fears instead of the releasing them to you. One more outburst of anger towards my family. One more gossipy, superficial conversation with a fellow believer instead of confessing sins to one another. Oh God, forgive This is the power of the resurrection that when God calls us alive, why do we remain in a tomb of sin? 
This is the gift of resurrection power, believers, to walk in newness of life, out of the casket, free from the constraints that kept us there in our sin. And so we are able to be united with Christ. We have been gifted with the ability to leave the ways of the old corpse behind. And yet the old corpse still clings to us. It is still in us, tempting us back to the casket. We recognize through the law, the command of God, that the old flesh is what it is. And in our next chapter, which is Romans 7, it tells us how the struggle against sin wages on. But it is Christ who is able to bring the victory. I've been, able, uh, I've been using the analogy of being dead in sin from Ephesians 2. But the analogy in our main text is that of verse 2, that we have died to sin. We have died to sin. That we treat ourselves as dead in the flesh, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we are able to walk as a completely new creation. Power and result two, united in a resurrection like his. Verse five again, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be not brought to nothing. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. United with him in a death like his. What's his death like? Christ's death is a sacrifice to pay for sin on our behalf. Romans 3, 23 through 24 tells us for all of sin, all of sin, all have fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. Verse 24, though, says, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom he, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. United in his death is a continuation of this baptism analogy that Paul is using in Romans 6. It means that we broke God's law. God's law is broken. If you want to talk to an unbeliever about, about where to start, start with God's law that is broken. We've broken God's law. However, however, Jesus took our sin to the cross and he paid the fine. Therefore, the saints are united with him in his death. What, what does it mean, though, that we'll be united with him in his resurrection? If we are to be united with him in a resurrection like his, we must gain, uh, again, pause and consider what is Jesus' resurrection like? Jesus was raised imperishable, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, Romans 
uh, 6 9. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Our Lord Jesus, for all eternity future, will never taste death again. He went down to the grave in order to purchase for himself a people. And he said, it is finished. Be encouraged, believer. The most mighty warrior may be slain with one small arrow, but it is impossible for your Savior to ever die again. He died once for all, and that at his own choice. He is now the ever-immortal God who has already won the battle. And we are united in this resurrection. Hear the risen Lord's words to John in Revelation again. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys. I have the keys of death and Hades. What is God's resurrection power like? It's final. It is final. He has the keys. What more encouragement does one need to enter the valley of the shadow of death? I don't know this congregation well. I don't know which one of, ones of you are, are struggling with the valley, entering into it, or having relatives that are in the valley right now. I don't know. But be encouraged, for he says to John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got the keys. They're right here to death in Hades. Wow. This is that resurrection power. What else is it like? Verse 10 points out that it is purposeful. It's purposeful. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus said it was finished upon that cross. He, he goes up into heaven, sits down at the right hand of the Father. He satisfies God's justice. But he has begun another work. Your God is not lazy. Jesus is not lazy. He sat down, but he is not doing nothing. Where he has done the justification and the redemption, he is now at work in the sanctification and glorification of his siblings, the saints. Now, I just said three big words. We're going to get to them and define them in a moment. Each of them are clearly taught in the Bible, so they ought to be understood and loved by the saints. We affirm again that Christ is at work. God sent us his spirit and is even now at the right hand of the Father doing a work on your behalf if you are indeed in Christ. Remember this promise exclusively for the believer is that we are united in a resurrection like his. Romans 8.34 tells us, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. 
Christ's resurrection is not a resurrection into rest. Consider that if even the words that he left us are not idle, his word, why do we think that he is somehow idle? Christ is at a work, Charles Stanley puts it, that he's actively working within you to shape your character and empower your obedience. This is a typical work day of the Lord Jesus on the throne 24-7 to be at work interceding for his saints. The, the life of the resurrected Lord Jesus is purposeful. This too is a power and the result of the resurrection. Therefore, if we're united in that resurrection that's purposeful, what is it like for us? What is our resurrection like? How is it purposeful for us? Resurrection power and result three, the purposeful in us. Um, resurrection for fallen creatures comes in three phases. First, we are justified. We can say just as if we had never sinned. Justified, just as though I had never sinned. Through Christ and death and resurrection, we are made that way, just as if we had never spiritually died. Consider the little girl, 12 years old. She'll be our spiritual analogy. Justification is when the body of a saint is given breath and life in the spirit. Made just as if there was never death, like Jesus said, she's just sleeping. Oh, her, she's just sleeping. And, and we are made a new creation. If anyone is sitting here this morning, listen, please, if anyone here is here this morning and is unconcerned about their sin, not excited about Jesus or the word, you're just here because someone dragged you here or that's because what our family does on Sunday morning, or you prayed the prayer when you were eight, but it doesn't mean much for you now, consider there is a strong chance that whether you think so or not, you may have not entered the reality of justification. If this is so and the warning bells are going off in your head, I urge you to cry out to Christ. Cry out to Jesus to save you. He is able to make you aware of, of how, how dead you are in sin. Make you aware of the casket you've been living in. Able to bring you to repentance and faith. And able to make you love his Father and love his word by his Holy Spirit gift you the life to lead your family, to love your siblings. I'm going to skip to the third phase. After justification is, is a second one, but here is the third one. This is glorification. Glorification happens when we die. Actually, I'm not going to say when we die, when we fall asleep. There's a reason why in Corinthians he says there are those who have fallen asleep because we don't talk about it as if it's death. Jesus has the keys, right? Glorification happens when we leave these earthly tents. We're present with the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 that he was going to prepare a place for us. At that point, 
we will be in a place where sin no longer has any power over us. No more dominion. We will finally see our Lord Jesus face to face. We will be made perfect by Christ. And we will be alive forevermore just as Christ is again. If the first phase of justification has not happened, then we have no reason to believe that we have Christ's resurrection power in us. Such a person is still in their sins, and the wages of sin is not only death in how you walk today, but death also in the flesh, in a fearful physical death, but also ultimately hell, which is the second death. Praise God this morning for glorification, where he makes it possible for not, us not to taste the second death, and the first death has no sting, for he holds the keys to death in Hades. Remember that God raised Christ by his own glory. He is able to do that with you as well. Now on to phase two. Phase two is where the believer finds himself this morning. This is where you are at this morning. If you are a believer, you are in this phase until you draw your last breath. We call this sanctification. Sanctification is when a believer is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. It's in verse 22 of Romans 6. Christ's image. What is it like to be conformed to the image of Christ? Christ's image is risen. Therefore, sanctification is like when this little girl to who Christ said, Talitha kom, which means get up. She got up. She got up out of bed, and she started walking and talking, living and breathing. And Jesus tells her parents something weird. He tells her parents, get her some food. Get that kid a sandwich. Okay? Jesus tells her parents to give her some food. New creations, justified beings, redeemed beings, get hungry. They get hungry. Resurrected beings need nourishment from the Holy Spirit, need nourishment from the Word, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk of the Word. This is what a sanctified being will do. They get hungry. They begin to look alive, doing things that living things do. I get nervous when somebody says, yes, I'm justified, but they don't love the Lord. They don't read their Bible. They don't spend time with God's people. Gets me real nervous. We see as we study the argument of Romans 6 is the argument for the sanctification of the saints. That if you are saved, the purpose of your life is to no longer remain dead in sin, but to be lived out for God by God's power. In sanctification, we are being conformed to the image of Christ, being like Christ. Pastor Mike talked about it last week, that this is a lifelong process. We are by God's grace being made to be like Jesus. To be made to be like Jesus. Believer, listen, sanctification, 
verifies your justification. Sanctification verifies your justification. If you are becoming more like Christ, it gives a person reason to believe I have been justified because I want to be like Jesus. It gives you reason to believe if I'm, if I'm being sanctified, I could be glorified too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the three stages. I will be. I can be. And I am being. It's a wonderful thing. If you want to check out the three stages in one verse, it's verse 22. We'll continue on though. Therefore, Paul writes, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are left with a question. Do, do I, ask this question to yourself this morning, do I have this newness of life that Pastor Mike talked about last week? Do I have it? Am I kidding myself? Are we united with Christ? Am I united with Christ? Have I been just faking it? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing. Do we know Christ? I would much rather someone come up to me and say, Jonathan, I don't know if you're saved. Than for them to say, Jonathan, nice, see you at church next week. Like, you're obviously saved because you go to church. <laughs> like, that's scary to me. Someone ought to ask me, even after the service, Jonathan, do you think you're saved? What, what reason do you believe, do you have to believe you're saved? I asked a dying lady that this last weekend, and she gave me a wonderful response, and it was so encouraging. She's like, I know I'm forgiven because of Jesus. Oh, how wonderful. It's so good. Yes, do you know Christ? Better question, does he know you? Are we in the process of these three phases? Let me examine, let each examine the resurrection of their own heart this morning. Am I alive in Christ Jesus? Is this how I see myself? Have I fled this casket that was flung open for me by hours of agony upon the cross? That should have had my name on it. Am I a new creation raised to life and dead to sin? Bear in mind that this is a lifelong phase to be crawling towards the cross in a tooth and nail battle against the flesh. By submitting to God and clinging to the word in prayer, it's possible. It's not clean. There's no sacrifice. Um, there's, there's, it's not without sacrifice, sorry. It's not without pain. It's not without cost. It's not without sin intermingled in the work and the trying to crawl towards the cross. But it's so wonderful. We'll close um, and, and go to worship. And I'll have the worship team come up as I'm reading verse 12 to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
for sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray to close our service. God, we stand in awe of your glory and power to resurrect not only your son, but your beloved other children. You are able to do a powerful work. If there are those this morning who have not comprehended your son's sacrifice and resurrection, have not tasted and seen the power in their own lives to have victory over sin, that they struggle and hate, would you remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh with eyes to see and ears to hear, if there are those who would claim to have your resurrection and are not justified this morning, not striving towards being sanctified, would your Holy Spirit make it plain to them, even this very moment, Lord? We recognize that even today, we have struggles of the flesh. Sin seeks to claim kingship even over your own subjects, but you have promised sin would not have dominion over us. We are no longer casket dwellers. You have said that we are brought from death to life. We love, live above ground in the land of the Son who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. We have a new master to serve, a new spirit and a new heart. Help us, Lord, to be so thankful that you saw fit to save us by your grace through faith, not by anything that we could do of ourselves, but by the good counsel of your own will. Forgive us this morning, Lord, from unrepentant sins, presumptuous sins, sins of neglect, sins that we're unaware of. Enable us, Lord, to put sin to death, not to rebel against your holy commands. Help us, Lord, to worship you, not just with our lips, but with our actions. For as surely as you rolled the stone from Jesus' tomb, you have freed your people to live as instruments of righteousness, to worship you with holy hands, without anger, without dispute. We recognize that in our fallenness, we are prone to stumble. Lord, when we do return to that casket of sin, we pray that you will cause remorse and conviction that these graces and kindnesses of your discipline would lead us to repentance. Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to serve you in worshiping together this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Go in peace and worship the Lord.